Folks, you're very welcome as you join with us this morning. Mark has already given you a welcome, but I'd like to add mine to it as well. Uh, If you've been with us for the past number of weeks, uh, you'll have known that we're halfway through our study of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We've entitled it 57 Words That Changed the World. We've been trying to get to know a little bit more what the Lord's Prayer, something that we, dare I say, take for granted sometimes, that we can just trip off our tongue. Let's, we're looking to see what this series has to teach us in understanding what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray in this way. So let's get into it, and let's start by doing a little bit of catch-up. The Lord's Prayer is made up of six petitions. It starts off with a picture of God. We affirm in our minds and in our hearts who God is. And then we go into six petitions, and those petitions are split in half. The first three deal with God. They're directed to God, about God. Then the second three are about us and God's work in our lives and in our world. So in the first three, we have hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. We're praying for God's name, God's kingdom, and God's divine purposes. And then our provision, our pardon, and our protection. What's interesting about this morning's petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where everything changes in the, in the flow of the prayer. We're moving from heaven to earth. We've affirmed who God is and who we believe he is. And now we're asking for him to act, to act in this world in the only way he can, by bringing his will upon our lives. And then the next couple of weeks, we'll finish the series by going into how God cares for us and nurtures us. So let's come and let's pray uh, as we start off this morning. Father God, thank you that the disciples wanted to know how to pray. Thank you that they wanted to know how to have this conversation with you. And thank you that Jesus taught us. So as we recognize you as our God, as we declare your name holy, as we desire to make your name holy, as we desire your kingdom to come on this earth. So help us as we try to think through what it means to pray, your will be done. Father, help us through this passage this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I would imagine that because the Lord's Prayer is quite a a thing for us to say in terms of we know it quite well. We'd be quite content if someone was to ask us, what do you agree with and what do you not agree with in the Lord's Prayer? We'd all say we agree with it all fine. And then if we were asked, would there be any aspect of the Lord's Prayer that we would find difficult? If we just casually thought about it, we would say, no, no problem at all. But if we thought a little bit deeper, we'd probably come to the third petition and say, hold on a minute. This means something very serious and very deep when we pray, thy will be done. See, what the third petition requires of us, it's to make a choice. The choice is we want to go our own way and do everything the way we think it should be done, or we submit to God's way, to his will, to his purposes. We let go of everything that is of ourselves, and we follow God's ways. I imagine that it sounds okay in theory. 
that sounds pretty good. If we know our Bibles, we're going, yep, that's, that's good, to submit completely to Jesus. In theory, it sounds easy even. But I think if any of us have tried to submit completely to the will of God and to submit to him, we discover it's not as easy as we think. You see, we're not built to be people who submit. We're not built to be people who give up naturally what is ours to come under the authority of another. Whenever we have sin in our lives, which we all have from birth, we recognize that we want to do things our way. Whoever taught you to think for yourself? No one. Around the age of two, you learned this great little word called no. No one had to teach it to you how to say it or pronounce it. No one even had to teach you what it meant. And if you've hung around any two-year-olds recently, you'll know that even this generation know it pretty well also. No one taught us how to defy our parents or those who were caring for us. We pick it up because it's part of our nature. It all happened way back in Genesis 3, the fall of man. Adam and Eve thought they were better than God. They were tempted by the Satan to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did because they thought that they knew better than God. And that's still our problem. We think we know better than God. From the small things of a two-year-old, like not wanting to eat food or bath time or bedtime or for our current generation telling them to turn off the television or that the television is going off, it continues until the day that we leave this earth. We want to do things our way and we're not happy when that doesn't happen. See, the three simple words in this petition, your will be done, they're not easy words for us to pray because it means that we give up everything of ourselves and trust that God's ways are better than the ways we think or the ways that we go that we assume are best. If you grew up in a generation that in Sunday school you learned the shorter catechism, it tells us a little bit and helps us to think a little bit about this petition. In the third petition, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. I'll read it again. In the third petition, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things, as the angels do in heaven. So there you go. That's it. Half eleven. That could be sermon over. Shorter Catechism has done it all for us. And that would be fine if we want to take it at face value. If we want to continue letting this little phrase trip off our tongues as we recite the Lord's Prayer and make it our own prayer. But if we want to take it seriously, then we need to take a few minutes to scratch beneath the surface of these words to discover what it fully means to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So to help us do this, let's go straight to Jesus. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives the night that he is arrested. He had lived for 33 years. The final three years had been those of his ministry. He had done everything that the Father required of him. 
In the passage that we read earlier in John 6, Jesus was very clear when he stated what his purpose on earth was. He said that he had come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus' whole ministry was not about what he thought should happen. It was about what God required. Jesus submitting to the Father. He had done everything. He had endured everything because this is what his Father, that is God, wanted. Once we move out of the New Testament times, we go into a period called the early church. It's a time when the church grew in number and in strength. And one of the writers in the early church was someone called Cyprian. And he said this about Jesus, what Jesus did while on earth. Now that is the will of God which Christ both did and taught. Humility in conversation. Steadfastness in faith. Modesty in words. Justice in deeds. Mercifulness in works. Discipline in morals. To be unable to do a wrong and to be able to bear a wrong when done. To keep peace with the brethren. To love God with all one's heart. To love him in that he is a father. To fear him in that he is a God. This is to fulfill the will of the Father. Cyprian gives us a great summary of what Jesus' life was like. A life completely in the will of his Father. But Jesus helps us a little bit more. In his own words, in verse 39 of John 6, Jesus says that the will of him who sent me is that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus starts off by telling us, I have come to do my Father's will, and if you want to know what it is, well, here it is. And Jesus says, God's will is salvation. God wants all of humankind to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. This shouldn't surprise us. If you've been around Kirkpatrick Memorial for any length of time, you will know that in our recent uh, teaching series, we've been learning about God's salvation plan throughout all of history, throughout all of scripture, that this has been God's plan from the word go, to be a relational God, to be a salvation God. And this is why Jesus starts off the section in John 6 by saying that he is the bread of life. God has made Jesus the intermediary, the one by how we get to God. So Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. He says it's as if you're eating bread, the most common and basic of all things by which we survive. Jesus says it, that's what it's like coming to me. Jesus is saying that he is our survival if we come to him. So the purpose of Jesus on earth is to bring salvation to the world. But let's go back to the Mount of Olives. We skipped over it there, but let's go back to it. Or as Matthew calls it, the place uh, called Gethsemane. Jesus knows that the time is coming. He knows what has to happen. There's no other way by which we can be saved but by the way that Jesus would have to go. 
He has eaten supper with his friends, and we recognize that as the, as the Lord's Supper. And you would think that everything was now in place. The great pieces of the game have been set. Jesus is now faced to Jerusalem, ready to go to be crucified and to rise again. But in a moment, in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus comes to his Father and he quotes from the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Jesus says, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus wanted his way rather than God's way. The plan, God's will, was that the Son should die and rise again. But in this moment, with anxiety and stress upon Jesus, knowing what is to come, spiritually and physically, Jesus says, if there's any other way, my Father, let it be. But your will be done. Jesus ultimately knows his Father. And he ultimately knows his Father's will. His Father's will is what's best. For this series, we've been one of the books we've been accessing is a book by an author called Daryl Johnson. It's a book that we got the, the title for our series from. And in the chapter about the third petition, I think it's a, a wonderful title that he's given it. He says, or he, he entitles it, Fulfill All Your Good Pleasures. Whenever we think of God's will be done, this is really what it's about. It's God fulfilling all his good pleasures. This is what it means to submit to his will. And Jesus knew this in the garden, even though he was saying, I want this cup to pass from me, but your will be done. He was saying, I don't want to go through this, but I know that your best is awaiting me. Fulfill all your pleasure in what is to come. What this means, if we let go of everything of ourselves, if we let go of what we think, of, of, what, or of how we believe we should go in life, and if we submit to God, if we allow God to do in us what he desires, well then we will get his very best. Jesus knew that the best was going to be the salvation of humankind rather than a, a trouble-free life for him. God's best came through the suffering of Christ. By now you'll have picked up that I've only been dealing with the first four words of this petition, your will be done. But the full petition continues on earth as it is in heaven. And this is that, that bit where we move from a Lord's Prayer focusing on God our Father and acknowledging who he is to coming to petitioning him for what is best for us on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this, we're not only praying for God's will to be supreme over our lives, but we're actually being more specific. We're praying that we want it to be like heaven. Think of heaven for a moment. I know that that's a big ask because we have no idea of what heaven is actually going to be like. But we know some things. God is there on his throne and he is surrounded by angels. Well, what are angels? Angels are God's servants. 
Imagine a workforce made up completely of angels. Not fallen angels who hate God and his work, but perfect angels who always serve him with joyful praise. Angels on the payroll. It would be every employer's dream. For there are no slackers in heaven. Angels are God's best servants because they always do what he says. Whatever the command, they say, thy will be done. And then they do it. By obeying God's every word, they make sure that his divine will is done in heaven. The psalmist helps us out as well in Psalm 103, verses 19 to 21. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants, who do his will. There's a picture of heaven, of what it's like for God's will to be accomplished there. Angels who do it at his bidding, without grumbling, complaining, they just do it. When we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven, this means that we want to do as his angels do. We want to be faithful to him alone. We desire to put him and his ways above all others. Basically, we desire to submit to God. And this affects our day-to-day living. There's four things, as we come to a close, there's four things I want to highlight of what submitting to God's will means for us as we live day by day. Firstly, submitting to God's will means that we submit to him for our salvation. Our best is never going to be good enough because we can never earn salvation. It doesn't matter how many kind words we say, how many hymns we sing, how many actions we do. Nothing will ever earn our salvation. Salvation is freely given through Jesus. So in our day-to-day living, we need to remember each day that when we submit to God's will, it means that we are submitting to him and him alone for our salvation. There's no bartering. There's no brownie points. He gives freely to those who submit completely to him. Submitting to God's will secondly means that we accept the way God has made us. He is the creator God. It means that we accept our strengths and our weaknesses. We accept every aspect of our personalities, every feature of our appearance, every part of our body, every one of our talents and limitations. Because each has been given according to God's exact specifications. And that means right now. It's not some idealistic notion of what we think and how we think God should have made us or perhaps made us in the past. If we are praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're talking about now how God has made you right this very moment. What he has brought you through, what he is bringing you through, whether you've gained an ounce or lost an ounce, whether you've grew a foot or you've gone in the other direction, God has made you to exact specifications 
of who he desires you to be right now. So submitting to God's will means that we accept the way God has made us. Thirdly, submitting to God's will means living by his word. The Bible is God's guide for how we are to live. In it, he has put everything that we need to know about how we are to live as his people. Some people will challenge us to say, well, the Bible doesn't speak clearly on this subject or that subject. And that may be so. But what the Bible does is gives us a picture of the life God wants us to live. And from that, we should be able to determine how we are to live in certain situations. In the Bible, God has revealed himself to us. He's helped us understand what he's all about. So there we, by there, we need to read his word. And we needn't just reserve it for Sundays. We need to be looking at his word regularly so that we can learn, not just depending on someone from a pulpit on a Sunday morning, but each day that we can learn more about God, who he is, and how he wants us to live. So submitting to God's will means living by his word. We learn how to love one another, how to share Jesus in this world, how to treat our money and our time, and what it means to truly serve him. Finally, submitting to God's will means going wherever he sends you to do what he calls you to do. You may or may not believe this, but God has a purpose for your vocation, for your job. For some, the thought of the alarm going off at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning fills them with fear, anxiety, and or apathy. That 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, doesn't look so good. It's the time in the week where you're most consumed with the negative things of life. But yet God has placed you in a vocation so that you can be his servant, his disciple in that place. If we truly pray God's will be done, well then we're saying, Lord, where you have placed me, use me. Help me to see through the difficulties and to trust in you that this has a purpose. And it may not just be in the workplace where we struggle. It could be in the home with situations that are going on right now. It could be those struggling to accept retirement. It could be those struggling with relationships, friendships, and loneliness. Just as we were talking about accepting how we were created as God's great design for us, so it is in submitting to wherever he sends us. And wherever he sends us, he calls us to do his will. Right now. Not in the job that may be, or not in what has gone past, but right now, right here, submitting to God's will means that we will go wherever he will send us and we will do whatever he calls us to do. So let's finish off this morning. The third petition of the Lord's Prayer is not something to trip off our tongues. It is a life-changing, mind-adapting petition when we ask for God's will to be done in our lives. This is no small thing. This is no second-guessing thing either. This is not something that will be to our human good at times. Jesus suffered because it was God's will for him to, to suffer. 
Why should we expect anything less? But God's will is his pleasure. Not in a nasty or conniving way, but in a genuine way. So as we live and desire God's will to be on earth as it is in heaven, here are some things to remember as we finish. We must submit completely to his ways. We need to recognize that God's will is his pleasure for us. We only see a small piece of the picture. What has gone before us and the present, we do not know the future. Only God knows what is to come. And finally, God's will is ultimately salvation. This is the end God wants for us all. Before we finish off this morning, we're going to have two moments of prayer relating to this. We'll close our service in about 10 minutes with the hymn, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. It's a wonderful hymn that reminds us in the last verse that we will lay our crowns down before him because we will be lost in wonder, love and praise. That's God's ultimate pleasure that we will be in his presence. But for now, let me pray using a prayer of John Wesley. He wrote it in the first person and I've altered it to allow us to pray it corporately. A prayer asking for God to fulfill his great pleasures in us. So let's pray. We are no longer our own but yours. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let us be full. Let us be empty. Let us have all things. Let us have nothing. We freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. In Jesus' name. Amen.